Welcome to Junior L's and Now What, Episode 4. To start with, let's have a little discussion about an event that took place, I'm pretty sure, billions of years ago. There was this giant object in space that we're going to refer to as Gaia, uh, spelled G-A-I-A. And there was another object that was somewhat smaller named Tia, uh, spelled T-H-E-I-A. Uh, so hopefully I'm pronouncing it correctly. Either way, both of them were spinning around this giant yellowish thing and congealing into a mass that we could lovingly refer to as planets or planetoids or uh, pre-planets, uh, pre-pubescence, whatever you want to call them. They were very large. Anyway, Gaia, being the larger one, was kind of orbiting in its little merry way. And then Tia, being in a foul mood, decided to slam into Gaia. It created a cataclysmic event that transformed both of them, which ultimately created the Earth and the Moon. Or at least this is one of the common theories in how our planet and our loving Moon were created. One of the supporting factors behind this, in case you want to know, is that the core of our Earth is larger than it should be for the size of our planet. But it would make sense if our planet were larger at one time and then through a cataclysmic event aforementioned was decreased in size, at least overall. Either way, this is illustration number one. According to the theories, it is a factual illustration. That's up to you to decide. Illustration number two resides with the sun. The sun, which has been an object of mine uh, for multiple podcasts, a punching bag to one extent or another. It's this large mass of Massive amounts of fusion going on, producing light, producing heat, uh, gravity, uh, etc. Lots of things. Now, one of the things about the sun that we all should know, or the vast majority of us should know, is you should not stare at it. If you were to close one eye and look at one eye at the sun for long enough, you are going to probably create irreparable damage to your eye, your retina, cornea, etc. However, if you choose to look at the sun through, say, something like a telescope, which I'm warning you right now, don't do, then the damage that you're going to cause to your eyes is going to happen a lot faster and probably be a lot more painful. Having said that, if you chose to look at the sun through a telescope that has the right filter on it, then you can stare at the, you can stare at the sun for as long as you like, within reason, I'm sure, because the sun probably doesn't like to be stared at because it's kind of rude to stare, to admire its amazing beauty. I had the opportunity to do this a number of years ago. I was uh, visiting a person's house who had a fairly expensive telescope, relatively speaking, and had one of these filters. It looked like a crinkled piece of tinfoil. I'm sure it was much more scientific than that. And they put it on the top of this telescope. And when you looked through it, the sun did look rather blue, However, you could see it, and it was amazing, and it didn't hurt my eyes. So, filter, telescope, don't look at the sun otherwise. All right, that was illustration number two. A uh, little tidbit of physics that I would like to bring up here, and that is the concept of, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And we'll get to that in a little bit. And then the final illustrations that I want to make relates to the illustrations that I've given uh, uh, three of the last five podcasts. One of them is the Jack and Jill reference. If you recall, I made them out to be husband and wife. 
Now, in the story, as I understand it, I've been corrected a little bit since, they were apparently supposed to be brother and sister. So I'm going to still pursue the husband and wife thing. But if you also want to think about them as brother and sister, I guess that depends on what part of the country you're from. Either way, have at it, and that's up to you. Jack and Jill were husband and wife in my story, and they were having a difficult time because of perspective. The second one was Humpty Dumpty, who I made out to be a mutant, who was, you know, part egg and part human, and uh, was rather entitled. The third illustration out of this group from stuff that I've talked about in previous podcasts was the volcano that erupted in 1815 uh, from in Indi- Indonesia uh, on uh, Mount Tempora. Tempora, I believe is how it's pronounced. I could be totally wrong. Anyway, the point here uh, about this volcano was this concept of gratitude, uh, specifically from the point of the recipient. If you do some act of service and you're expecting gratitude. It's like this volcano that blocked out the sun and it was what they refer to as the year with no summer. And so you're filtering out some of what you could be receiving if instead you did service without expecting gratitude. And in turn, when the person gave you gratitude, you received the full impact or saw the full light to re- receive the full amount of it. All right. So having said all of that and expressed all these illustrations, Let's talk a little bit about what happened July 20th of 1969. This was one of those gigantic, world-changing historical events when two American astronauts set foot on the moon for the first time. One of the things that I found out within just the last few days from reading through one of my favorite apps called Curiosity, one of the objects that the astronauts left on the moon was a small disk that they brought from Earth. It was about the size of a half dollar. And I believe it was referred to as the Apollo 11 Goodwill Messages. And on this disc, there was messages from over 73 or 74 countries, from four U.S. presidents, and another number of other little tidbits of information. Obviously, on something the size of a half dollar, there's not a lot you can put on there unless it's like microscopic in size, which apparently it was. You cannot read it with a naked eye. You can only read it with a uh, uh, microscope. Having said that, there is a way of getting access to what the document said that, as far as I know, is not redacted uh, because I've read it and it doesn't have any black lines or anything through it. And in it, there is messages, as I had mentioned before, from... 70-some-odd countries, and from four presidents. And in these messages, I have spent the last handful of hours and over the last few days reading each and every one of them. Now, most of them are fairly short, a sentence or two. Some of them, a few paragraphs, so not real long, so this didn't take me a horrific amount of time. The point I'm trying to make is, out of the 77 or so messages between the countries and the presidents, there were 45 messages that specifically used the word peace. And let that sink in for a minute. Around 60% of the messages from around the world in the 60s, during the Cold War, now admittedly, Russia was not on this list, but 60% of them mentioned peace. And this is some of the countries that at the time or now, we're not exactly close friends with. Iran, uh, Korea, some of the other places in the Middle East and Asia. But peace was the dominant message. And even the ones that didn't specifically say the word peace alluded to it. 
In fact, I was so impressed when I was reading this that my original plans for this message or this podcast have changed, and I am going to read a couple of them. So I'm going to quote directly out of this letter. It is amazingly fascinating. Uh, it was uh, it was quite beautiful, actually, almost poetic in lots of situations. So I would encourage you, if you get a moment to read it, um, the document, I believe, is actually called the Apollo 11 Goodwill Messages, uh, dated uh, 7 1369. So it was before they actually landed on the moon is when it was published. Uh, the first message I want to quote from is actually from Australia. And... It is from uh, John Gorton, who was the prime minister, and here's what it says. Australians are pleased and proud to have played a part in helping to make it possible for the first man from Earth to land on the moon. This is a dramatic fulfillment of man's urge to go always a little further, to explore and know the formerly unknown, to strive, to seek, to find and not to yield. May the high courage and the technical genius which made this achievement possible be so used in the future that mankind will live in a universe in which peace, self-expression, and the chance of dangerous adventure are available to all. I love that, especially the last sentence. Chance of dangerous adventure are available to all. This one was really profound to me, especially the reference to peace in it. The next one I want to read is from Costa Rica. This one was also very inspirational to me and extremely well written. It was from, and I'm going to totally butcher this name, J.J. Trijos Hernandez, president. And here's what it says. I join in the wish of all Costa Rica... Costa Ricans for the success of the historical exploit to be carried out by Apollo 11 in that it represents the scientific and technical progress attained by man in his peaceful struggle for the conquest of space and in that the crew of the ship represents human valor, will, spirit of adventure, and ingenuity. The enormous scientific and technical effort deployed in order to take the first men to the moon deserves the gratitude of mankind because from this effort will come new benefits for improving the well-being of the human race. With faith, we hope for better days for all mankind. If there is later, later added to this successful endeavor, new determination for justice and liberty as they correspond to the respect owed each human being and in favor of a major diffusion of love of one's neighbor whose efforts we can hope will be simulated, uh, excuse me, stimulated by the spirit of humility derived from a more clear and vivid awareness of the minuteness of this planet, which serves as our home in the cosmos. As representative of the Costa Rican nation, I extend my greetings to the heroes of Apollo 11 and to all those who are making this historical feat possible. The last one I'm going to read is from the Ivory Coast. Uh, before I read it, I do want to mention, as an honorable mention, the one from Korea, which I don't know my history super well. In 1969, I don't recall if they were one country or if it was just South Korea or, for all I know, North Korea that quoted this. But the Korean one was very good. But uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to just read the Ivory Coast one. This one, to me, was probably the most poetic. 
At the moment when man's oldest dream is becoming a reality, I am very thankful for NASA's kind attention in offering me the services of the first human messenger to set foot on the moon and carry the words of the Ivory Coast. I would hope that when this passenger from the sky leaves man's imprint on lunar soil, he will feel how proud we are to belong to the generation which has accomplished this feat. I hope also that he would tell the moon how beautiful it is when it illuminates the nights of the Ivory Coast. I especially wish that he would turn towards our planet Earth and cry out how insignificant the problems which torture men are when viewed from up there. May his words descending from the sky find in the cosmos the force and light which will permit him to convince humanity of the beauty of progress in brotherhood and peace. Now, this is, I'm going to, again, butcher the name, Felix Hofiet Boigny, president. Um, yeah, we're going to go with that. I hope that you felt the way I did as I read those, because I truly felt a, a, a peaceful, a, a subtleness coming across me. Just even thinking about the idea that so many countries around the world we're wishing good wishes to one country, to three guys. And admittedly, it was a broader context than that. But peace was the dominant theme throughout the entire document. How many times in the history of this world have we had that opportunity? To me, that means the very concept of peace is, and remember the four eyes. it is not just important. It is certainly not just interesting. It is far from irrelevant. It is imperative. Uh, one of the earlier messages in my podcast I mentioned is that it is imperative for us to understand that we have self-worth. Part of having self-worth and being able to embrace that is being able to find or, in some situations, fight for peace. Now, peace can come about in a lot of different ways, and peace can also take a lot of different forms. And I'm hoping over the course of my podcast that I will have an opportunity to share with you a variety of those. But for this one, I want to use the illustration of the filter of peace. Back to the concept of the sun. Don't stare at it directly, whether through a telescope or not, unless you have a filter. Through that filter, you can see that this massive object, which is constantly in a state of horrific destructive flux, is actually rather astounding and amazing to look at. Back to the uh, Gaia and Tia uh, analogy uh, or illustration, that if you were to look at it from one perspective, you would see chaos, destructive, massive chaos. But if you apply the principle of for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, and you look at it from that standpoint, it's no longer chaos, it's actually order. If you understood all of the variables taking place during this while it was going on, while these two planets collided with each other, you could more than likely predict where each individual piece, each individual molecule was going to end up. I don't know that that constitutes chaos. I would definitely say that constitutes order. So I'm going to beg the concept that peace is not something that exists 
by itself. Peace is something that exists within each one of us or can exist within each one of us. It's almost more of a perspective. It's how we view or feel things. Again, I'm going to go more into peace in future in future podcasts. But for this one, I want to focus on it being a perspective and specifically through the lens of peace or the filter of peace. The question then becomes, how do I build for myself this filter of peace and what purpose would it serve? Well, I think we can all see in nature, depending on how we want to look at it, that nature is either in a state of chaos or in a state of order. I would argue that nature, for the most part, is always in a state of order based off of the principle of for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction and a variety of other laws of physics, etc. Human interaction, on the other hand, is a totally different thing because like animals, to one extent or another, they're somewhat unpredictable. And our own attitudes and perspectives of things change whether we view them as chaos or order or peace or the opposite of peace, which is definitely not order. So if we use this lens, this lens that I'm going to suggest that my first three primary topics, which were perspective, entitlement, and gratitude, if we can embrace those three and harness them around the quote that I gave and I've given in all of my primary podcasts, what if the only way to achieve our maximum potential or our maximum peace is to help everyone else achieve theirs. So how do we build this filter of peace? How do we fight for peace, which is not most of our natural inclinations? We do it through those three principles, or that's a way we can do it. An example from recent entertainment that I think illustrates this point quite well is the first Thor movie. For those of you who haven't seen it, I'm going to ruin part of it for you. In the first Thor movie, near the very end of the movie, um, Thor has now been stripped of the vast majority of his powers. He no longer has Mjolnir, his hammer. And he's a self-centered prince. In the movie, he finally faces a situation where he realizes three things, or a variety of things. One of them is, he never understood his brother. He never really understood seeing through the eyes of his adopted brother. He also was very, very much entitled. He believed that he deserved anything and everything he had. And finally, he really wasn't grateful for the people around him and for the things that were being done for him and the sacrifices that were being made for him. He was certainly not grateful for his father and what his father had done. So he realized all three of these things at about the same time. I realize I'm, I'm probably stretching this a little bit, but I still think the illustration fits. That when he realized these three things, he embraced them and it brought him peace. Now, ultimately, it kind of killed him when that happened as well, because his brother filled his, uh, turned his full wrath on him and him alone. But it also led to him receiving not only his powers back, but a greater power and greater insights into what was going on around him. It helped him to grow as a person or in this situation, kind of a demigod. But the point here is, if we can develop this filter of peace, where our goal 
our intent, our motives really circle around this idea of trying to see the world through different eyes, eyes that want the world to be at peace, not even just globally, but individually. There are situations where we want something to change because we feel that something is unjust and the way we go about it should change based off of that filter. Do we do something in public or do we take the person, people, or situation aside and truly try to understand the motives and their reasonings behind what they're doing? And then do we drive our, our goal home through the guise of wanting them and ourselves to find peace? That doesn't always happen easily. In fact, I would even argue that easy and better are often mutually exclusive. But it is ultimately a better road. All right. So, and now what? To me, what this means is if I want myself to be better, if I want myself to grow, then I need to build this filter of peace where I want to find or fight for peace for myself and I want to find and fight for peace for others. And one way I can do that is through changing my perspective by trying to help understand everyone else's, by not being entitled, by not setting myself first, and by expressing true gratitude and helping the other person feel that gratitude as well. And then ultimately, it will bring me greater peace. I will tell you that as I was reading those quotes from those countries in that document from earlier, I felt a peace, a peace that I hadn't felt much at all today. I felt in quite a state of chaos myself. And so I encourage you to take these steps and to read from that document so you can see that at least one time in this Earth's history, even if it was half a century ago, that many, if not most of the leaders of this world, wanted even if they didn't know how to make it happen, world peace. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a spectacular weekend and following week. And as with all of my podcasts, I have to end with something that makes me and hopefully you smile. Brett Farr can throw a football over 50 yards. Chuck Norris can throw Brett Farr even further. <laughs>